Well, good morning, Story Family. How are y'all doing today? It's good to see your faces. It's really good, actually. I know I say that every week, but this is uh, the best way to start a new week, to get ourselves in the right frame of mind, to uh, be encouraged by our friends and brothers and sisters in Christ. And if um, you're new here, I just want to extend a special welcome and just say thanks for joining us today. If you want to get connected beyond Sunday mornings, like what happens here is cool, but really what happens during the week is even better. And you heard Heather mention some of those in the, uh, those opportunities in the announcement video, and there's so much more to, to dig into. So I'm Eric. I'm the lead pastor here, if we don't know each other. Um, super, super glad that you're here. I want to say hi to our uh, Timber Grove campus as well over in the Heights at 8200 Washington Avenue. Everybody say hi. We love you guys. And I'm so glad you guys are tuning in to today's uh, message and everybody joining us online, wherever you are, whatever platform you're tuning in on. If you can, just leave us a little uh, comment. Let us know where you're tuning in from. We'd love to say hello. All right. Hope you all had a great week. I had a great week. Great week. Allergies were bad. The heat was awful, but I had a great week. And... Uh, I got a new office this week. I started officing uh, for the first time at a little place over at 3223 Westheimer Road. And so we are slowly, I know, praise God, we're slowly. If you don't know what that is, uh, we, we uh, acquired a new um, property, a new campus that will be sort of all our own. Um, we are renting this place temporarily and we'll be here for a few more months. But by the end of this year, we anticipate, God willing, um, moving the whole operation, uh, worship included, over to the new campus um, where we'll start worshiping in the gymnasium there at, uh, at 3223 Westheimer Road. And eventually, eventually, when construction allows, we will move into the sanctuary for a grand opening sometime next year. So very exciting times. And um, for now, uh, you can find me during the week and a few other staff as well during the week over at those offices. We had to give my office and Geo's office away to kids' ministries because that's how many kids we've got coming now. They were like, we just have nowhere to put all of the kids. And so that's pretty cool um, to think of. About as well. So um, we are right toward the end now, kind of in the home stretch of this uh, sermon uh, series that we've been going through this summer called the Summer of Love at the Story Church. And this series has allowed us to talk about all kinds of interesting topics. The first three weeks, we talked specifically to single Christians, really, who are trying to navigate the dating scene. Um, the fourth week, we talked about pornography and the pitfalls of pornography, and that sort of applied to everyone to different degrees. Last week, for part five, we talked about whether marriage is just a piece of paper or whether it's something more. Um, and all of those messages live forever online. You can check them out at thestory.church or on our YouTube channel. Today, I have um, a really interesting challenge before me because... I decided to take on a topic related to dating, love, and marriage that you might not really think about as, as something that's applicable. I've done three or four series over the years on dating and, and romance and stuff and marriage, and I've never talked about this topic in particular. But today I want to talk about the precarious, um, dangerous intersection between dating and divorce. All right, so um, we all know how common divorce is these days. We know all the statistics, and most of the statistics are wrong. But nobody really knows how many marriages are ending in divorce. Everybody says it's half. It's not really half, but it's a lot. It's a lot. So you probably all um, know someone who's divorced. I would anticipate, you know, a, a hefty chunk of our community 
um, uh, folks that come to the story, been, you've been through divorce in the past. And so <clears throat> this is a touchy topic. And there's a reason why churches rarely talk about this topic. And we'd rather talk about other topics that sort of are more comfortable to sort of pit us versus the world and all that. This is in the house with us. And so how it relates to dating really is the question. And, and I felt like what what the Lord was sort of opening my eyes to as I was preparing this and planning this series was that there are a few questions that are urgent questions that people are really asking in our community that sit at that intersection between dating and divorce. I know it's unlikely, you wouldn't think of it, but there really are. And this is gonna surprise some of you, but I, I'm telling you, these questions come up all the time. Maybe it's because the story's mission is to reach non-religious people, and so we're not super churchy and people feel comfortable talking about stuff that they might not in other churches, but we hear questions like these all the time. I want to go through four of them with you right now. Four questions that sit at this intersection between dating and divorce. Okay, number one, um, if you are single, is it ever okay to date someone who is married, but in the process of getting a divorce, like they filed or they're separated or whatever? I know everybody's like, well, no, it's not, right? That's just your first answer. And that's my answer too, but it's more complicated than that. And this question is probably more common these days in Houston, Texas, than many of y'all, if you've been like a church rat your whole life and you don't know what the real world's like anymore, you might not be aware of how common this uh, conundrum is. On the flip side of that question is uh, uh, the reverse question for someone who's married, but their marriage is all but over. So they've sought a divorce, maybe they filed or they've separated. When, if ever, is it okay to start dating people other than your spouse? Is it okay to start dating whenever, you know, the divorce isn't final yet? We'll get to that in a minute. The third question we'll address in a, a little bit has to do with if you're divorced and the divorce is final, when and how should you think about starting to date again? That's a tricky one, right? But this is something that strikes at the heart of a lot of you and your journeys that you're on right now. So I want to address that with some compassion. And then fourth and finally is the question, if you are married and not filing for divorce or anything like that, you know, and you're, you're going strong or maybe you're barely holding on or whatever, how do you divorce-proof your marriage so that you can avoid, if at all possible, ever, ever, ever having to go back out on the dating scene ever again. The one thing I've learned from this series, from talking to single adults and doing the Operation Matchmaker thing we're doing with the Maybe God podcast, is that maybe the modern dating scene is the closest thing to hell on earth that anyone's, anyone's in right now. And so if you're married, you don't want to go there. Trust me, it might look enticing or the, the variety, the novelty no, any single person would tell you, just stay put, bro. Stay put. Stay where you're at. You've got it made in the shade. All right, so um, the dating scene isn't all it's cracked up to be. So we're going to go through these four questions one at a time. The first one's going to take about 25 minutes, and you're going to be thinking, this is going to be the longest sermon in history. The last three aren't going to take that long, okay? Because with the first question, we sort of have to set up the conversation around on a topic like divorce. So let's tackle that first question. When, if ever, is it okay for a single person on the dating scene to consider dating someone who's married, but maybe they are uh, separated? Maybe they are uh, getting a divorce, but it's not um, final yet. <clears throat> now, this question comes up 
as a pastor, I hear it all the time. Pastor Gio hears it more than I do because more often than not in a Christian community like this, it comes up from uh, within circles of, of women and they're uh, usually women in their late 20s to early 40s who really have wanted to get married for a long time. And for whatever reasons, the world's a messed up place. Again, the dating scene stinks and nobody's committing. And, and whatever reasons, they just find themselves unlucky in love. And all their friends are getting married around them. And they feel like their lives are passing them by. And they feel like they're running out of time. And they come to a crossroads where they feel like it's time to make some compromises. And not like compromises like, well, I'll date a bald guy now. And like compromises like <laughs> moral ones, you know, like moral compromises, like, like, you know, whenever I'm outspoken about my Christian faith in, uh, in public, I, I don't get a lot of attention from guys, so I'm just going to tuck that away. That's a moral compromise that, that uh, a Christian woman or man can make, right, on the dating scene today. Or, or I have heard uh, women in, their, you know, in that age range, single women, say, well, whenever I draw a line in the sand and, and insist on um, sexual purity until marriage, uh, the, the guys I like won't pay me any attention. They won't take me seriously. Or, or um, if I insist on this guy that I'm in, a, in love with, right, that, that, that if we're going to take some next steps together and start living together, that we need to get engaged, we need to get married, um, you know, and, and he pushes back and says, I'm not going to give you a ring or, or whatever until we figure out if, if we can live together. So we're going to live together first. And then there's a moral conundrum there where, where a woman might, might feel inclined to compromise their core values. Um, or, 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 you know, eventually you can come to the point where, um, as we talked about in week four of this series, bringing up the problem of pornography just makes you, you know, the, the, the man you're with might make you out to be a nag for even bringing it up. And so you just sort of stop bringing it up. And eventually, like, you know, it's like an ankle that you sprain once, and every time, whenever you sprain it, it gets easier to turn an ankle, you know, because the tendons get looser and all that. The same is true whenever we cross these moral lines. And over time, uh, a woman of faith even can, or, or a man too, but I've seen this particular issue more with, with women because of the supply and demand issues we have in the dating scene. This issue applies usually more with women, and, uh, and there's the biological clock issue and all that. Y'all know what I'm saying? So this issue is usually is women-heavy, and, and so it's, um, it's, it's usually a matter of a woman saying, I'll, I'll flex on this, I'll compromise, I'll bend on that. And so one day you wake up, and, and you're like offering justifications for even considering going out with a guy who's still married. And you'll say things to yourself in the mirror that you would have never imagined saying just months before because you've crossed all these other lines. Why not cross this one? You'll start to say things like, well, you know, they've, that marriage has technically been over for months. He hasn't been happy in years. They're already separated. She's already going out with somebody else, and he's lonely and unhappy, you know, or, or, or oh, this is the worst one. Um, he's really a pretty good guy. <sighs> as he dates her while married. He's really a pretty good guy. Um, he, just, he, he just chose the wrong person to marry. And y'all, with all respect and love in my heart, that's where I have to draw the line. And that sort of, that sort of leads me toward um, this big lie we're going to debunk today. Every week we're debunking a different lie, and today's lie has to do with this whole right person, wrong person fallacy 
The lie that we're all told is that if you're unhappily married, it's because you married the wrong person. False. People who are unhappily married did marry the wrong person, but they're not unhappy because they married the wrong person. You know how I know? Because people who are happily married also married the wrong person. There's no such thing as marrying the right person. The right person in every sense does not exist. You will be tempted to think you married the right person, and maybe, maybe for a glimpse of a moment on your wedding day when everything's perfect, you married the right person, but people change. Ask anyone who's married. Maybe not like just married, because they're still under this illusion, but, but ask anyone who's been married for a little time whether they feel like they've absolutely married the right person. And they'll tell you the truth. They'll tell you no, if they're honest. <laughs> they'll tell you no, like there's things that are right about this person, but there are things that are wrong about this person, and there are things that are wrong about me for this person I'm married to. Marriages don't fall apart because two people are wrong for each other. Marriages fall apart because two wrong people refuse to love each other rightly. And, and so over time, it just chips away at their covenant, at their vows, and then one day they find themselves, you know, at a fork in the road. And so if you're in this situation, you know, he, he's not separated from his wife because she's the wrong person, and he's not drawn to you because you're the right one. That's all part of this big lie that uh, this world of ours wants to uh, convince us of, and, and so uh, we have to be wise and cunning in uh, response to this, all right? So what this comes back to is our addiction to feelings, guys. Man, we're chasing our feelings around as though they're our gods. And we're chasing feelings to our own um, detriment. We're chasing feelings even to dark places like um, divorce. Why? Because never in the history of humankind has a culture treated divorce as nonchalantly as ours does. It's unbelievable, not just the rates of divorce, but the lack of grief or gravity that come along with divorce anymore. Um, divorce in our world today isn't, isn't only tolerated, it's actually Celebrated. I came across this article last month in the Wall Street Journal, which, you know, is not known as like a secular, liberal, like, publication. The Wall Street Journal published this piece entitled, Divorce Parties are a new hot invite. And the subtitle says, with society widely accepting of broken marriages, many newly uncoupled people feel emboldened to throw themselves bashes. And then there's a quote, end of an error. Not era, end of an error. So that marriage was a mistake. That person was, a, was an error. And now it's time to move on past that uh, wrong move. This uh, really telling quote from a woman they interviewed in the New York Times piece, it goes like this. Uh, she said, uh, her name is Nadine. It was just this feeling of, I'm not ashamed of this, says Nadine Adamson, a real estate broker in Manhattan and Brooklyn who had a divorce party. I think being married for more than 10 years in New York is a huge success, and I was married for 12. This is the classic example of, of adjusting our moral compass to comparison mode instead of to God Almighty mode. Like, we, we just would rather compare ourselves to people who can only hack it for 10 years, and if we make it 12, we had a successful marriage. 
I mean, this is, this is classic human justification, self-justification, right? It's like speeding, but not as much as the other guys. And then you get stopped, and you're incredulous at the police. How could you stop me? Did you not see those other people going five miles an hour faster than you? But you were speeding. The law is the law. And when we break the law, it doesn't matter if other people break it worse than we do. And this is what the Bible calls justice. Now, the article um, in the Wall Street Journal mentioned divorce cakes. And this was an interesting thing to me. I'd never heard of such a thing. What's a divorce cake? Um, so I did what any red-blooded American male would do. I took it to Google, and I tried to figure out what exactly a divorce cake is, and I found out it's an emerging market. If you're in the baking industry, you should be making divorce cakes, apparently. It's, the, it's, a, it's a hot commodity. I found divorce cakes, all sorts of designs from the simple, like this, where the bride and groom have turned away from each other to the snarky, like this one that says free at last, which seems an out of place quote uh, to quote the great Dr. King on a divorce cake. But on the, the side up there is, uh, is uh, I guess, the woman throwing her man off the cliff or something and uh, the chain's breaking. It's a very unfortunate visual. Um, and then some of the cakes even went into sinister and scary uh, areas uh, where this uh, wife uh, felt it necessary to shed some blood and literally murder her husband. Now, listen, I will tell you, this, this class of wedding cake is by far the most popular. They're all very murderous in me. There's a lot of scorned ex-wives that just fantasize about killing their ex-husbands, apparently, because this is the most popular kind of uh, divorce cake. Kind of scary. Heads up, guys. Okay, so... Why are divorce cakes in such high demand in 2023? Well, because divorce itself is in such high demand. And I don't want to get to a place where we as a community are being hateful or dismissive or in denial about the real pain that goes into everyone's decision to get divorced. Anybody that goes through that, like that's real anguish. The divorce process itself is agony. I, I understand very well how ugly that all can get. And, and for that reason, part of me can kind of understand why some people would want to throw a party upon the completion of their divorce. But for, for people who are seeking the heart of God and the will of God, divorce parties have no place with us. We should be very careful because the choice to celebrate divorce in any form is essentially the choice to celebrate sin. And I know, the, I know the reasonings and rationales, but Eric, it wasn't my choice to get divorced. It was my ex's choice. My wife cheated. I didn't. You know, all those sorts of things. I understand the brokenness. I understand it takes two to tango. But why the cake? And why the party? And why this sort of sarcastic joy or cynical joy? Why not just grieve your divorce like a normal godly soul would? Why not just pray for your spouse, your ex, your healing, your heart? Why not just pray for your own forgiveness and confess your own sins? Why not do that spiritual work instead of just skimming along the surface of superficial sins like the world wants us to do? Because the fact is, regardless of what brought you to the point of divorce, it's always the result of sin. Divorce is always the result of two people falling short of God's ideal. I know the guilt or whatever is not always equal, and I understand that. I just want us all to be aware we're standing on very thin ice 
whenever we grow accustomed to celebrating things that God calls sin. Why? Because, well, in terms of divorce, the Bible's way clearer on divorce than it is on a lot of issues that we, that we tend to harp on these days as, as Christians, biblical Christians. Like, God is not a fan of divorce really under any circumstances. Does, is God a, a, a celebrant or a fan of, of divorce? In fact, in Malachi, uh, an Old Testament prophet named Malachi wrote a book, and, and in chapter 2 of Malachi, God says, I hate divorce. God hates divorce, and the man who despises and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect. And this, you know, these prophets wrote primarily to men, but I guarantee you that the same could be said to wives who have uh, abandoned or betrayed their husbands. It was the wife's job to have the husband's back, just like it's the husband's job to have the wife's back. And whenever we despise and divorce each other, we cause some kind of violence or hardship or harm to come upon them. And that's another thing I see as a pastor is the harm that's really done by divorce, not just to the two people involved, but to potentially generations following. By throwing our parties, we forsake this reality. Now, says, uh, be on your guard and, and, and do not be unfaithful. And that's not just Old Testament talk. I know everybody's like, well, can we just get to Jesus where he tells us just to love each other and, and we can just divorce and, and have our parties and, and love and all that. It's like, look, Jesus was as present in the Old Testament as in the New. If he is who he said he was, and I believe with every fiber of my being that he is, the entirety of scripture was written through him. Okay. So, so, so we can't just say, well, Old Testament says these mean things and Jesus says these nice things. That's not how it works. Jesus had an edge to him, especially about divorce. And this might come as a surprise to you. If you have a Bible, open up uh, your Bible to Matthew chapter 19. We're gonna just dig into this passage. It's the clearest example of Jesus's opinion on divorce. Matthew chapter 19, and I will start in verse three, Okay. Says some Pharisees, we know who the Pharisees were. They were sort of the, the, the nemesis of Jesus, the, the pebble in his shoe, right? They were his kryptonite. They always tried to trip him up. And they're trying again. They came to him to test him. Says they asked Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Let's talk about what the Pharisees were up to. So the Pharisees didn't want or care about Jesus' opinion. They wanted to catch Jesus in a lie or in a heresy. So the Pharisees had their minds made up, but they disagreed. This might surprise you that the, the culture of the Pharisees was polarized. It was liberal and conservative, and they didn't always like each other, and they argued all kinds of points until the cows came home. Can you imagine such a culture in which to live? Well, the Pharisees had this sort of dynamic going on. There were two camps of Pharisees that were dominant in Jesus' day. One was theologically more conservative. One was theologically more liberal. And um, the, the debate around uh, divorce revolved around one verse in the Old Testament. And they wanted to know what Jesus thought about that one verse. That one verse is Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 1. And that verse reads uh, this way from the law of Moses. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her 
and he writes her a certificate of divorce. And then it goes on to explain some more. But that's the, that's the pertinent phrase right there. If a, if a man marries a woman and then she becomes displeasing to him because of something indecent about her, he can write her a, a certificate of divorce. Well, both camps of Pharisees had already decided not only can a man in that instance write his wife a certificate of divorce, but he must. It's a requirement if his wife is being indecent. The question is, what's indecent? And for the conservatives, it was just about like sexual immorality because it made sense. Every other time that word indecent appears in the law of Moses, it has to do with adultery and sexual immorality. So the conservative branch of Pharisees said, well, this has to do with a wife who is stepping out on her husband. And anytime a woman does that, a man must offer her a certificate of divorce. Well, the, the more liberal theological sort of lens uh, looked at this a little bit differently and said, no, it's not just about sexual indecency. A husband can define indecency just about any way he wants. Indecency can mean almost anything. An indecent wife is a wife who runs her mouth, for example, a little too much. Or an indecent wife is a wife who doesn't know how to cook well. Or an indecent wife might be a wife who just happens to get a headache at, at bedtime every single night. It's like, it's like that kind of thing can be classified as indecent, and a man had an obligation then to divorce her. And the Pharisees come to Jesus wanting to know where he lands on this. And he doesn't land in either camp. He doesn't land in the, in the Hillel camp or the Shammai camp, the liberal camp or the conservative camp. He supersedes both. He goes farther. It's not like he, he sort of gives them both a free pass. He calls them both out for being wrong. And not just because of their hang-up with that indecent word. It's, it, it's, it's for something else. And this is how Jesus answered them in Matthew 19, verses 4 to 6. Jesus said, haven't you read that at the beginning, the creator made the male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Jesus is hearkening back to the beginning of creation, the created order, the intended design. He's saying that in the beginning, God made marriage and that, that as far as God is concerned, no one should come between a man and a woman that have come together under his created design. No one and nothing should come between them. So, so that is to say that God created marriage in the beginning and man created divorce after the fall. Do you hear me? God created marriage, man created divorce after the fall. And God, uh, God in some instances seems to make allowances, but it's not his will. That's what Jesus is saying. He's like, you guys insist that divorce is a command from God. It is not. Divorce is never a command from God because it's not in line with his good and perfect will. It is, however, a concession a gracious concession that occasionally applies because we are so fallen and so broken and we're such a mess and, and, and we're so upside down in this world and we don't really know what we're doing. We're hard-hearted, hard-headed. We're barely within his orbit. And so just to keep us within reach, he offers us these gracious concessions, like on occasion, a legal divorce in his eyes. Now, he puts these qualifications around it, and Jesus said so. It's basically adultery um, that allows for, you know, that, that God allows for divorce uh, to happen 
under. And that's sort of what the Word of God says. Don't kill the messenger, all right? I know, I know this is hard for a lot of folks in our community. I just want us to be clear that we can't follow our feelings to dark places like whimsical divorce, lest we run afoul of Almighty God. I don't want that for any of us. So the answer to question number one is a hard no. Just like y'all said in the beginning, I could have just saved 25 minutes and just trusted your instincts. No. My word to y'all is if you're single and tempted to date someone who's married, or maybe you are dating someone who's married, hold out for something better. Believe me when I tell you, there's a great reward for those who wait on the Lord and trust in him and walk in his ways. Now let's get to these other three questions, and this won't take as long. The second question is just like the first one. It's just reversed, right? So if you're still married, but only barely, just a little bit married, right? So you're, just, you're married, but you're, the papers are filed, or, or you're just waiting for the lawyers to figure it out, or, or, or you know, maybe they, your, your spouse filed, and you didn't want to get divorced, but it's happening against your will, or maybe, maybe you know, they're the ones who um, were in the wrong or whatever, and maybe, maybe they're already shacking up with somebody else, so why shouldn't you? I understand all the justifications for it, but I'm here to tell you the answer is still no. It doesn't really get very complicated beyond that. Hebrews 13, uh, 4 says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge sexually immoral and adulterous people. So the, the, the idea of honoring your marriage, even when you're married to someone who's dishonored it, or even when you've dishonored it in the past, as far as you're concerned, as far as you can help it, you will honor your marriage as long as it exists, as long as you possibly can. You will honor your marriage. And frankly, even after your divorce, you will honor the one you married to the best of your Abilities. Now, even if you're not a believer, you don't trust the Bible, you don't trust guys like me, hey, I get it. I wouldn't trust guys like me either. Just trust Jesus, all of that. You don't need the Bible to tell you this is a bad, bad idea. And if you're wondering why I'm spending time talking about this, just trust me when I tell you there's a reason. This problem is real, all right? And it's causing harm to families and children and, and single people who get sucked into these traps. Um, and, and so you don't need the Bible to tell you it's a bad idea. All you need to do even is just to go ask a divorce attorney <laughs> who we all know are bastions of um, ethics and morality. Go ask a divorce attorney whether it's a good idea to date before your marriage is over, and they will tell you it's not because the court could find out and the courts will frown upon that behavior because it is ethically dubious and essentially immoral. And if there's anything, anything you're doing that a divorce attorney looks at and goes, that's really bad, um, <laughs> you know that's got to be truly egregious, okay? So um, anything that's beneath the moral threshold, <laughs> and enough divorce attorney jokes. Okay, so sorry, but it has to be said, we don't even, all we need is our own ethical, moral compass that God gave us, our own conscience to know that's not okay. So if you're married and it's all but over, maybe you're tempted to get out there and have some fun, hold off. And as far as it depends on you, honor your spouse and the vows you made. You never know what God can do with your marriage. Number three, if you're divorced, when and how should you start dating again? Listen, I can't emphasize this enough. 
when and how? I don't know. The first question is whether. Really. A lot of people just don't need to date or seek any kind of commitment for quite a while. Because for most people coming out of divorce, there's such a healing that needs to happen, you guys. There's, there's such a tenderness there. It's something so raw. There's a reason why the divorce rate of second marriages is so much higher than first marriages. And the divorce rate of third marriages is even higher than that of second marriages. Because we don't take time to heal. And we end up com- making the same mistakes or overcorrecting for those mistakes in other ways. And the Bible offers healing to, to us all. That God offers healing to every one of us. Healing in spades. Healing more than we could ever ask or require of him. First John chapter 1, verse 9 tells us how. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Yo, before you take steps into some new thing, as fun as fling as it might seem, take time to pray and take stock and reflect and ask yourself serious questions. Confess your sin to God and maybe to other Christians that you trust. Repent and be healed. I love weddings, and I don't turn down a lot of weddings. Um, But the weddings I do turn down are almost always weddings where someone's getting remarried and they're not expressing repentance at all. They just feel like that lady felt or that, New, that Wall Street Journal article, like, like the end of an error, it's time to move on. No, 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 no. I'm not going to marry you again if you aren't willing to, to confess and repent for any part you played in the demise of your first marriage. It's just, it would it would suggest that we don't really take marriage or divorce as seriously as the word of God would have us to. Repentance is the key. Fourth, oh wait, first, to divorce people. I want to say if you're divorced and feeling impatient about dating again, hold up a minute and take time to repent and experience God's forgiveness. Okay, fourth and finally, this is for the married folks in the house, those married folks who haven't filed for divorce yet, congratulations. Married folks who are still not considering dating other people, as far as I know, congrats, that's awesome, and you're, you're hanging in there. You know as well as I do what a grind that marriage can be. How do we divorce-proof our marriages so that we never find ourselves out on the dating scene again? I hope by now most of you are following the the Maybe God podcast. We're putting out new, awesome, I think really helpful content every week now, which is a real chore. But this week we had on the show um, a couple that's in ministry together. Their names are Dave and Ashley Willis. And they have a podcast called the Naked Marriage Podcast. If you're looking for a marriage podcast that's Christian, but they also talk a lot about like sex and intimacy and all kinds of stuff you wouldn't expect Christians to talk about, check out the Naked Marriage Podcast. And in our conversation, I asked them a very a similar question about how to divorce-proof a marriage, and they kept coming back to this idea of pursuing your spouse like a best friend. And I wanted to share this clip with you now, so let's check it out. 
I think you take a look at your calendar because, you know, what we want to get done is, is usually on the calendar. That's what we're prioritizing. Yeah. And I think when it comes to spending time with our spouse, for some reason, we get into this grind and this kind of autopilot uh, dynamic where we're like expecting things to just be good. Or if we just avoid the problems, they'll go away or, or he or she knows that I love them. Like they just know. And I don't have to say it anymore. I don't have to right. show it anymore. But really the couples that have a thriving marriages, um, and really are, are in it for the long haul, they prioritize date nights or day dates, whatever you want to call them. And I know yeah. for some people, they get this more than others. But I mean, how can you, the only way you can have quality time is with quantity time. And for the, the friendship part specifically, I think it leads to an intentionality where you're just like, what are some ways that we can have more overlap instead of his yes. hobbies, her yes. hobbies, his friends, her friends, yeah. his dreams, her dreams. And so we've tried to just frame our whole life and goal and vision is like, how, how can we spend as much time together as possible? I mean, yes, yeah, still, she's going to get with the girls and do her thing, and I'm sure. going to go out with guys and do stuff. And I mean, we're not like Siamese twins or we're never apart, but we've tried to bring each other into one another's world as much as we can. Like, for instance, um, you know, I there's a lot of shows and stuff I like that she doesn't, a lot of shows she likes that I don't. Right. But as much as we can, we'll sit down and be like, all right, what's something we can watch together? Or yeah. she wasn't into sports at all because she grew up in, in this girl house where they just never watched it. And so, <laughs> but she started watching some with me and I would just explain the rules and she would start, you know, appreciating it. It's still not ever going to be her favorite, but she'll I do appreciate, she'll it, appreciate it and enjoy it now and we can watch it together. And I'll watch you know, some of this stuff with her that I never would have watched, like Lifetime movies and stuff. Yeah. That I don't I would watch have. Lifetime movies. Or it's more like wedding dress shows. And, there it is. Yeah. And, and, and I'm like, all right, so I can tell you now, like, what is in this season? You know, what, you know, how, you know with every... You're pretty good at it. I'm you pretty are. good. You um, know. I, I know how to say yes to the dress. I know. So <laughs> we... We'll just try to bring each other into one another's world as much as we can. Yeah. Um, and, and those shared moments... Are meaningful because you know when we're just doing something we like alone it's not even a fraction as meaningful it is is if we're doing something and we can share the experience together so friendship is really as simple as being intentional mm -hmm. about trying to share moments together with someone that exactly is how we um sort of divorce proof our marriages is we continue to choose each other even when we don't feel like it because we're so sick of each other, that we're convinced we're not right for each other. And, and we're caught in that, in, that, in that fork in the road between feelings and, and, the, and the will. And we have to understand that love is not a feeling, it is an act of the will. And every marriage is founded on love, the choice we make to love, instead of just to follow our fleeting feelings down whatever path they would have us Go down. We continue to choose each other. I love how Dave talked about the say yes to the dress. I say yes to antiques now, apparently, because my wife loves <laughs> antiques. I don't get it, but I get her. And I, I want to know why she loves them so much. And so I tag along and go to these rummage sales that are overpriced and <laughs> overhyped rummage sales where everybody sells us their old stuff. But I love my wife and I choose her. And I choose antiquing with her, just like she chooses Astros with me, right? And um, over time, what's interesting is that the desire um, and the fire that uh, often comes and goes in a marriage returns when we make that willful choice to love one another, even when we don't always feel right for each other. So the whole 
question here about marriage is, are we going to succumb to the way the world looks at it, which is all about me, 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 and my emotions, my feelings, my impulses, or are we going to love each other like Jesus did? That's why we do things like the re-engage class, by the way, which starts on September 10th for all married couples. It's going to be here um, Monday nights, 6.30. You can register on your way out at the table on your way out if you're married or um, engaged, Dylan, yeah, even engaged. And and those of you at Timber Grove campus, you can inquire as well at thestory.church about the re-engage class. But we're learning how to fireproof and divorce-proof our marriages because healthy, strong, faithful marriages have multi-generational impact that proclaim the love of God in the world. So all of this is to say if you are married and hoping to reinforce your marriage, hold on to your spouse even when you don't feel like it. And in summary, our lie in this uh, part six of our series, the big lie is that if you're unhappily married, it's because you marry the wrong person. And the truth is that no one ever marries the right person because a lasting marriage involves two people who, although they're wrong for each other, choose to love their spouse as long as they both shall live. So blessed are those who are faithful in marriage. Blessed are those who are patient in singleness. Blessed are those who are resilient in what seems like failure. Blessed are those who are repentant even in the aftermath of divorce and brokenness. Our God is faithful to heal, faithful to restore. If you will wait on him and put your hope in him. Let's pray together. Lord, uh, we thank you for your word. As hard as it might be to hear some of these things today, Lord, I pray that everything that's been spoken um, and received today uh, has been spoken and received with tenderness, with your mercy, um, first and foremost, Lord, that you would bring healing to us and understanding, really, um, that, that really supersedes the, the false wisdom of this world. <laughs> Lord, help us to see eternal perspective and, and wisdom Um, when it comes to decisions we make about our um, relationships, our intimate relationships, uh, decisions we make about marriage and divorce, Lord, help us to uh, proceed with caution and to walk by faith and uh, to lean on you. Lord, we thank you for this time together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.